Hello and welcome to Mac Bytes episode 47. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, we have musings from Mac Bytes headquarters, wireless desktops, badly behaved batteries, and roaming RAM. And if you've been following us on Twitter, you'll know that Elaine has lost her voice recently. But it's back and your piece is over. Oh no. Now, now. Anyway, welcome to 2011. Hell has officially frozen over. Tweety2 has launched in the guise of Twitter for Mac and Verizon have the iPhone. Not that some of us aren't still waiting for other toys missing in action. Yes, I work 11 or I work 20 as it's fast becoming known. Textmate 2, due for release in 2008. I'm still waiting. White iPhones have yet to be officially cited. And then, of course, there's the over-air syncing in things. So plenty and plenty of things to hope for. So I'm hoping for those and much, much more from 2011. Google, of course, have started as they no doubt mean to go on. You mean they've killed something else? Oh, they're giving Dexter a run for his money. Major ambitious slaughter plans this time for H.264 video. And I haven't forgiven them for Wave yet. Don't I know all about that? But never mind that. What the intrepid MacBytes crew have been up to is always far more entertaining than Google's latest murderous outrage. It is. We've certainly not been idle, have we? Absolutely. Um, I think our last episode we talked about the fact that we'd completely overhauled the website and I've done it again. Yeah, uh, that might sound silly, but it's not really. It's not. Uh, What I'd done was anybody who does any web design knows that you sort of um, do it. And then if you've got the time, do it again. Well, yes. No, what I was actually going to say was you go back and you revisit it and you tighten it up and tidy it up. And of course, you very seldom have time for that. But with no voice. I did. So I went back and now all the code's prettified as well. I think we talked about the fact it's hosted on um, the WordPress platform and I had to bite the bullet and learn to write themes from from the ground up because they just didn't look like we wanted them to look and the ones that did didn't work. So now we have a working theme, we have a working website and it it does everything I want it to do because I wrote it. But we didn't stop there this time. It does everything I want it to do because you wrote it. Oh. Yes. (laughs) Jolly good. Ah, Creeping early on. Like it, like it. Uh, Anyway, we've also changed our recording setup. We have new toys. We've changed the editing setup. But probably the biggest change is changing the podcast host and feed, which for a podcast is, well, it can be pretty suicidal if it all goes wrong. But if you're listening to this episode, it worked. And if you're not, well, you'll be completely unaware and um, it's back to the drawing board. But I have complete confidence we've tested it as far as we can test it without actually putting a show out. So this show is the big test for it. And um, always assuming that it works as well as we're hoping it'll work, uh, we'll share all the details with you uh, in future episodes. We certainly will. Now, haven't you got something else to come clean about? Oh, yes my wireless desktop. I did hint in the last show. So it was was left on a cliffhanger as to what I'd been up to. Yes. um, Obviously, I wanted a wireless desktop and I'd got as far as having a Logitech Metro Evolution mouse, which had a built-in battery and was wireless. And I loved my mouse, but I really wanted a wireless keyboard to go with it. And I really liked the Apple one, apart from the fact that I wanted the numeric keypad. 
And of course, there isn't a wireless version with a numeric keypad. And it wasn't particularly that I enter a lot of figures with it. The reason that I have it there is I, I use it for shortcuts because the keys on the numeric keypad are actually treated very differently by the system than the, the numbers um, at the top of the normal keyboard. So I was thinking, how on earth could I possibly manage without that? And the arrow keys being very separate and the little keys above that as well. It also had more function keys and I've got, I love shortcut keys and I had hundreds of them. There's also some dedicated keys when you come to edit in Final Cut and Soundtrack Pro. So I didn't really want to lose those extra keys. Was I dreaming or is there a, an add-on that you can get? There it. is supposed to be. It's supposed to be on the way. I think it's actually on the Amazon.com website and it looks gorgeous. It actually looks like the trackpad. So you could have, in my case, I use the trackpad on the left. So I could have the trackpad on the left and the numeric keypad separate, you know, sort of wireless on the right. But I don't think it's actually available yet. I'd go for that if it was available. But um, as I'm sat there thinking, I really want a wireless keyboard. I really do. I got the bright idea of um, changing the keyboard uh, instead of using one, using the wireless one a little bit of the time, do it the other way around, use the wireless one most of the time and then plug in the USB one if and when I need to. So instead of leaving it plugged in because the cable's not that long, use an extender and plug it in only when I needed it. So I actually was, was so confident that it wouldn't suit me. When I got my new iMac, I gave you the wireless keyboard. Yeah, and I love my wireless keyboard. I take it I take it to work with me and I use it with the uh, the MacBook Pro and also the iPad. Yes, well, you might love it a lot. So um, I got you to buy me another one to replace the one that I had given you. And I now love my wireless keyboard too. No, seriously, what happened was I got one to use with my iPad when I'm out and about uh, with my note applications that I use on my iPad. And I too loved it very much. The problem I then was having was that the keys are in a different place than they were on my desktop keyboard. So that sort of gave me another push in the let's go and get a wireless keyboard direction. So I did. And I'm really, really, really happy with it. Now, that, of course, wasn't anything to do with the revelation that you're about to make, which was the magic mouse. I have been severely tempted with the magic mouse. Uh, not personally. It's other people tempting me that way, telling me I really must try it. And it's marvellous. And I'm still clinging desperately to my Logitech MX Revolution, which I love. I think I'm clinging to it so desperately because it's set up perfectly. I use Steermouse as its driver. I've never actually used the software that came with it. And Steermouse is just perfect. I'd say with the Magic Mouse, it certainly needs a lot of help. So I've, ha I've got a lot of applications now that are supporting the Magic Mouse and the keyboard. Uh, just a few of them. There's... Um, I've still got Steermouse installed. I've not made any changes to that. So all the features that were there before still function. The shortcut keys and everything that I've got working still seem to be working, so I've left it alone. Uh, I've also got Mercury Mover, which I've had installed for quite some time. And what that lets you do is set up extra shortcut keys for moving windows and res resizing windows, I think, as well. I've got it set to make windows a certain size. And for some bizarre reason, I have another application that seems to do pretty much exactly the same thing called Breeze. I don't know why I've done that, but it just works for me. I have certain um, shortcut keys set up in Mercury Mover and others in Breeze. 
And I've got another one which I've only just installed, and that was for a very specific reason called Aptivate. It's something that I've wanted to do for quite a while, and that is set two shortcut keys for an application to run. So if you think of something like LaunchBar, um, I have LaunchBar set to use the standard Spotlight shortcut. But when I'm using Apple Remote Desktop, which is something I'll talk about in more detail in a future show, um, I found that it's a bit erratic sending that shortcut key to the remote machines. Sometimes it works and it's fabulous. Sometimes it doesn't. It actually sends that shortcut key to the local machine. So I'm trying to run an application on the remote one and it runs on the local one. Oh, it's a real pain. You've got to keep watching the screen like a hawk to see which one's actually activated. So what I wanted to do was have a different shortcut key for running LaunchBar on the remote machines. Well, that's really simple. Go into LaunchBar and set up a shortcut key for it that is different to the one on your main machine. But the problem then is if you're sat at one of those machines or somebody else is using one of those machines, then you've changed it for them as well. So then what you'd have is one shortcut key on sort of nine machines out of 10 and the odd one then is using the spotlight key. And I really didn't want to do that. Uh, we did change from control and space years ago, didn't we? Back to command and space. And it took the best part of a week and it was agony. I've, I've got so used to command and space now I even use it on a Windows machine. That's really sad. Yes, because it wouldn't do much, would it? No, it, I, it doesn't. I can vouch for that. <laughs> so what I wanted really was to for, for LaunchBot to activate when one of I of two different key combinations was used. And that's what I've managed to get Activate to do. So that's the sole reason that I'm actually using that. And, and it's really quite sad. I've only got the one shortcut key in it, but it's actually the only way I found to do it that's quick and easy. And I, that was one of the things that I bought from the Mac App Store. So I can install it on all my machines and have it working wonderfully. So what I'm doing now is um, it, it's using, what am I using? Control and L um, on the remote machines. And I've actually set that up on my main machine as well. So now I can use either. So if it doesn't respond or I actually kind of know that I'm in Apple Remote Desktop now and I'm automatically using Control and L, but I've got it set up using Activate. Yeah, it's normally my machine that you're uh, taking over, isn't it? So as I said the other day, I don't use Activate, but you use it for me. Yes, of course. <laughs> Sometimes now I've got Apple Remote Desktop, the things I can do are, are amazing. But you don't need to know about that, do you? Like I say, we'll talk about that soon, soon. But the one thing I have noticed with the Magic Mouse is the batteries. To say they are variable at best is an understatement. It ships with, I think they were... Oh, those energy thingy ones. Not Duracell, because they're diabolical. Um, I think they were ever ready somethings or other. And they seem to work quite well. Um, better in the mouse than I actually found them in the trackpad. But I was getting sort of disconnections. And as you start Googling it, a lot of people are having those problems. Um, and the magic mouse doesn't seem to reconnect very well. Now, it didn't occur to me, hands up, to click the mouse button. I was just sat there wiggling the thing from left to right. And you Googled it. Oh, I mean, obviously you didn't think of it either. <laughs> yes, I know, all, all the dirty secrets coming out. It never occurred to me to click the button. Why would it? Exactly, why would it? You know, you want to see the mouse pointer move on the screen and then you think, right, it's connected. And it wasn't doing. So no, you have to actually click to reconnect, which was another pain. Um, but to be honest, it was happening with certain batteries a lot. So I was Googling it and some people were, were really annoyed um, that it was disconnecting sort of 20, 30 times a day. And I've actually seen that myself. 
And it's nothing to do with the placement. People were saying, you know, move it here, change that there, don't, you know, don't use this mouse mat. Oh, there was all sorts of sort of old wives' tales. No, it was the batteries. That was the sole thing with me. If you change the batteries for a different set of batteries, it was absolutely fine. Not had a disconnection since. But the batteries themselves are reporting. You're putting them in and they're 100%. And within sort of 20 minutes, they're down to 70%. So either it's using an awful lot of battery power or it's just not reporting it properly. Um, another thing with the batteries that I found, because with my Metro Revolution, the battery's built in, you never encounter this. But the batteries are different weights. And some of them are incredibly light and it really makes a difference to how the mouse feels and how you use it. I actually, what I was doing with one set of batteries, the batteries were fine, but it didn't feel right. It just wasn't heavy enough. And I actually took the bottom off and put some blue tack in just to make it heavier. And then, you know, it, it was absolutely fine. I didn't need the, the blue tack to hold the batteries in. It was just to change the weight of it. So I can't say I'm actually very happy with the battery life in the mouse at all it either drains very quickly or it's reporting um erratic usage so not too happy with the, the batteries you know what i'm thinking i think you're talking yourself into getting some of those apple batteries anything with an apple logo ah but they haven't they haven't the batteries haven't got an apple logo the charger has but the batteries haven't does it come with those stickers oh if it's got stickers oh she's <laughs> sold no 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 i've actually been actively trying to talk myself out of buying the apple batteries but i would love to hear others feedback if you've bitten the bullet and you've bought the apple batteries are they any better than the other ones because i'm not having good use at all with the other ones i must admit um i've tried duracell they were dreadful um i tried some of the ones that came with it now one of the other problems i had with the batteries i've tried rechargeables uh, they never seem to report anything like 100 percent charged even when they are and um, my battery tester is saying that they're 100 percent charged uh, apple says no somewhere in the low 70s uh, and they don't seem to last any longer either so they're not pretty good uh, but i had a trackpad already and um, the batteries that came with it again i think they were those um, energizer things uh, they leaked all over the thing. So I don't actually use my trackpad as a main input device at all. It's on the left of my desk and I use it for specific editing shortcuts. So the batteries were in it for quite a while. They were probably in there for sort of five, six months and they, they were draining little by little, so you know, no problem with it uh, until they got down to sort of 10% and it's it starting saying change the batteries. When I came to take them out, they'd leaked all over it and they're supposed to be leak proof. So I wasn't impressed with that at all either. So you could be right, but I'm still telling myself that £25 is ludicrous for six batteries. And I'm holding on to that. <laughs> It is. I go to the supermarket. Well, I want to hear what others um, are doing with theirs. Have you bought the Apple batteries? Please tell me. I need to know. Are they any good or not? Because the other thing is, if you've got two sets of anything, uh, they give you the six batteries. So there's two for your trackpad, two for the keyboard, two for the mouse. That doesn't leave you any spares to charge or whatever. But if you want any more, then you have to buy another charger with it as well. You can't just buy the batteries on their own. So I'd love to hear other people's feedback. Have they got the Apple batteries? If not, what are you using and are they any good? OK, so let's let's be clear about this. Something you said before. Mickey the MacBytes Magic Mouse is on your desk. He's been many places. He's been to a sportsman's dinner with us. He's been to the zoo with us. And it was most insistent that I tried a magic mouse. And um, Graham Welsh, one of our MacBiters, sent me a lovely email extolling the virtues. Um, this must have been uh, quite a few months ago now. 
So <clears throat> I was trying to gloss over that bit, but um, yes, for the moment, the battery situation needs resolving, but Mickey is on my desk. And I must say, I do love the silent scrolling. In the last show, I talked about the fact that I wanted to be able to have um, my works uh, calendar on my devices. Um, Link to Mobile Me, I think, would be the best way to do it. And that way I could sync it to my uh, my iPad, iPhone and my Mac. And um, I put um, a, a, the, the story of this, my requirements, onto uh, our, our company's Yammer site. For those of you that don't know what Yammer is, it's like an internal Facebook, internal Twitter. And um, somebody came back to me and said, why don't you use file print? What? Yeah, yeah. So, and this is going to put thought, it on mobile me, is it? Well, I thought. Well, obviously, what he's talking about is you know storing it as a PDF. Um, so uh, taking my calendar, taking my work calendar, uh, going to file print. This is in Outlook. Um, creates a PDF um, and sticking it on mobile me, and then um, synchronizing it with iDisk or whatever. Anyway, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe I could have put it in Dropbox, um, but that wouldn't have been a very user-friendly or, or searchable, but I could see where he's coming from. You could? Yeah. Um, so he, you know, I said this and he said, actually, no, I literally meant carry a piece of paper. Oh, my word. He said, maybe this isn't a good example, but I was subtly trying to send a reminder that not all business solutions need to be technical nor complicated. And sometimes it's good to just step back and keep it simple. But that's not simple. If you print it out, your calendar changes so often. And other people actually change your calendar too, don't they? That is that is very true. So um, you might know what changes are there, but other people don't. I don't, I don't believe for one minute that that is simple. It's not, no, but he carried on and he, he says, I agree that not all solutions need to involve digital technology. I think we'd argue that point. Well, I would. Although having said that, I had a meeting today and we had pieces of paper flying all over the place. Oh, how quaint. Mm. However, paper printouts of information that change, especially if I'm not the one changing it, creates a very complicated user situation, which is yeah, just exactly what you've what just I said, said, isn't it? As soon as it's printed, have you read this? Because he said exactly what you just said. As soon as it's printed, it's at the risk of being invalid. I often get meeting cancellations less than an hour before the meeting. I'm all with Mike trying to find a way to sync my work calendar with my iPhone. I also want my wife to be able to access my calendar. And I find it strange that my workmates know more about my schedule than my wife does. Now, you've said that as well. Well, obviously I did. Mm. <laughs> and it's not just about Big Brother is watching you. It's um, it's convenience, isn't it? It is. And surely if you're printing things out and, and you're making a task of keeping your calendar synchronised and updated, then it you're giving yourself another job to do. You're not your own administrator. I suppose what I could do is print off my calendar, scan it, PDF it and email it to you. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, just just going back to see what he said. Yes, I find it strange that my workmates know more about my schedule than my wife does. I have one life, not two. One between eight and five and one for the rest of the day. 
and I know there's, there's a lot of people that have said that, you know, that they talk about work-life balance, but really you, you do have one life. I, I certainly feel I have one life um, from midnight to midnight, <laughs> as it were. Um, and you, you work my hours then. You can't separate your, well, you can separate your work life and your, your home life, but the two are intertwined. And certainly these days with, uh, with, with mobile devices, I mean, you know, I'm the one that checks my Yammer uh, threads whilst I'm lying in bed, but I'm also the one that checks my Twitter feeds during the working day. Um, so it's give and take. I won't tell anybody if you don't. Well, I've just broadcast it to however many people we get. Thousands. That's going to depend on whether the feed transfer worked. Of course it will. You could just be telling me at this stage. I think one of the things is, and it's not just the company I work for, um, but there's a lot of of companies are worried about privacy, aren't they? About your calendar information falling into the wrong hands. It's a calendar. Do you work for MI5? I sometimes think I might do. But, you know... I also think that if there's stuff that you want to keep private, you shouldn't put it in your work calendar anyway. Um, you know, even things to do with work, I mark them as private because I don't want people who, uh, and I know you love this phrase, calendar surf. Oh, to, yes, uh, I needed calendar surfing explained to me. I couldn't believe people do that. Yeah, people people go into Outlook and do file open, other users folder, whatever the command is search for somebody's name, select calendar, and uh, because our calendars are totally open, um, that you can actually see what people are doing. And that in that company, they're then saying they're concerned about privacy. Mm. But it's wide open and anybody can do that right now. Yeah. Mm. But you can't synchronise with home and you can't tell me where you're going. No, that's quite right. It's, it's, it's rules, isn't it? For the sake of rules, I think. Yeah. I wouldn't last five minutes employed, would I? No. No. That's why you, that's why you work for yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> um, somebody else made another good point, actually, on the on the same Yammer thread. Uh, Twitter and Facebook must be gold mines for burglars. This isn't new, however. I remember an episode of the TV series Dragnet about detectives in LA, for those of you who are younger than I am, where a burglar looked for obituaries in the paper. He mostly correctly assumed that a house would be empty during the funeral and could go in without being disturbed until the detective, who was the hero, figured out the pattern and used the same information to lay a trap for him. These days, if you want to attract burglars properly, you just need to check out Foursquare. Now, this person also said, despite detesting Facebook, I've somehow become a bit of an addict to Foursquare. I've never got into Foursquare, you know. Oh, good grief. Um, I I do Foursquare a bit and Goala a bit. I Goala um, when I remember. When you say to me, <laughs> oh, you could Goala from here. Yeah, but to be honest, our house is never empty. We don't need to worry about that. <laughs> there is a big dog there a lot of the time, if not most That's of the time. True. So we don't really have to worry about that. I, I can see where he's coming from up to a point. But 
all to think all this started because you just wanted to synchronize your work calendar yeah if we could just get back to the original point i know this thread that you're talking about went on for days didn't it it did yeah so how many work hours has been wasted on people arguing about whether you actually need to do it and whether it should be analog and then people might burglarize your house unbelievable the great thing about yammer though is that it gives it gives people in the company a voice and one person makes a comment so for those of you as i said that don't know what yammer is it's like a big electronic bulletin board um and you know people then come out and either will agree with you or disagree with you but you know up until yammer i was one person on my own thinking oh uh, i want to synchronize my work calendar with my iphone and so i i made this comment and lots of other people come along and say they want to do the same thing and here's some ideas about how you can or can't in this case do it so now you're in a massive group of 5,000 people who want to do the same thing and you still can't do it. This is exactly correct. But somehow it makes you feel better. Mm. Mm. Self-employment. That's the way to go. Make your own rules. Absolutely. Make your own rules. Anyway, let's get away from your Windows-loving friends and back to Max and Ramgate. Not to be confused with Ramsgate. Or Markgate. <laughs> Indeed. So we're going to settle back and let Jane and her cast of thousands explain it all. Hi folks, this is Jane Griffiths in Perth, Western Australia, here to bring you a long, long story. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. This is a tale of two RAM upgrades. A couple of weeks ago, there was much chatter on Twitter from people upgrading the RAM in their Macs, and they were buying RAM from their local online crucial distributor in either the UK or the USA. It set me thinking about having a go at a RAM upgrade on a couple of our Macs. We currently have four Macs, a 2006 MacBook Pro, which is in retirement awaiting possible sale to someone who will really care for it. I'm no good at selling my redundant tech gear, you know. And I have a 2009 Unibody MacBook Pro, which is currently at its RAM limit of 4GB. So no point in doing anything with those two machines. Then there is John's late 2009 model iMac 27-inch Core i7 with the basic 4GB of RAM. And a 2010 aluminium Mac Mini, also sitting on the base 2GB of RAM. Both of which are ideal candidates for a RAM upgrade. So there I am on a warm Sunday afternoon thinking, why not give it a go? Now I'd bought RAM from Crucial in the UK for my father's computers a few years back and the process was painless. But living in Australia means there is no locally based Crucial website. So I did a quick search on the Crucial website and found that their US site would actually ship to Australia for $25. Not bad, I thought. I decided to replace the Mac Mini's 2GB with the maximum of 8GB. So that would require two sticks of 4GB at a total cost of US$98. And then to add 4GB to the iMac's current 4GB bringing it up to a total of eight. So that would require two sticks of two gigabyte at a bargain total price of $46. Add in the $25 shipping and we have a grand total of $169. US But before I hit the order button, I needed to check out 
local ram sellers. Unfortunately, the Aussie-based suppliers were at least $40 more, even after the shipping costs, and more to the point they had no stock available, and my order would have to go on back order of at least five days. So I'm sorry not to be supporting the local suppliers, but if they can't match delivery and come close to matching price, then the order goes elsewhere. So I returned to Crucial's website, checked with Crucial's system scanner app that I was ordering the correct type of RAM and then hit the buy now button. So that was it. The order was in on a Sunday night. Over the following days, I tracked my delivery as it left Crucial, passing through Alaska, Hong Kong, Singapore, before it finally landed in Perth on the Thursday and it was delivered into my eager hands on the Friday. An exceptionally good delivery time, I thought. It takes nearly that long for my Apple orders to travel over from Sydney over to Western Australia to Perth. So, I had the RAM. All I needed to do now was build up the courage to do the upgrade. <gasps> oh, just get on with it, woman, I said to myself. The Mac Mini was the first, as it was easy to access the innards of that machine. I disconnected the Mac Mini, brought it through to my desk. Access to the inside was easy through that swivel and release plastic bottom plate. I could see the two banks of RAM on top of each other and just needed to release the clamps that held them in place. They were a little stiff, but eventually they moved apart, allowing the RAM to flip up to about 45 degrees. I removed the two sticks of one gig RAM and inserted the two sticks of crucial 4 gig RAM. Applying sufficient pressure was a little awkward, but eventually both RAM modules were sitting happily inside the Mac Mini. Well, that was easy, I thought. I started up the Mac Mini and yay, recognised the 8 gig and was noticeably more sprightly than before. Wonderful. Now this Mac Mini lives its life as a media server connected to a 50-inch Pioneer Plasma screen and I used the front row app to access the media files. So once I'd reconnected it to the screen, booted it, it, I went straight into front row and what a difference those extra gigabytes of RAM made. Snippity quick, front row, cover flow in iTunes, all super smooth. No hiccups, no stuttering. In the words of Steve Jobs, it scrolls like butter. A big thank you to Apple for making the new unibody Mac Mini so easy to access the RAM. I doubt I would ever have tried it in the previous model, as the prizing a part of the body shell with a spatula. I mean, who uses kitchen implements to upgrade their computers? Uh, well, actually, we will have more on that topic shortly. So, next was the 27-inch iMac. Now, I keep emphasising 27 inches here because you need to realise how big and heavy this thing is. It's no Mac Mini where you just pick it up, turn it over, flip, flap, flop, it's back again, no problem. This thing, it's an epic each time. So there is no way I'm going to attempt manoeuvring this thing onto its screen without a, without a little help from my other half. So I carried it through to my desk and then with the help of my lovely assistant, John, we carefully upended the machine onto a quilted pillowcase. Yes, that's right, a pillowcase, which just happens to be almost exact fit for the screen to lay on on the desk. That's a handy tip there, folks. Right, now to access the RAM in the iMac. 
Again, Apple have made it simple. Well, mostly simple. Undo three tiny Phillips screws underneath the screen, which is why I had to lay it on the screen for access rather than trying to get at it from underneath. And remove a small, roughly four inch long access plate. Easy. So all I had to do was insert the new extra two sticks of two gigs of RAM. This is so easy, I said. But, as usual, I had spoken too soon. Lining up the first stick of RAM into the empty slot was simple enough, but applying sufficient pressure to actually seat the RAM into its connectors was turning out to be impossible. John held the machine steady while I used all the force I could muster with my thumbs, pushing on the edge of the RAM, all the time fearing I would snap something vital, and not just in the computer but in me as well, as the flesh on my thumbs and fingertips started to succumb to the concentrated pressure supplied by the resistance of those wafer-thin ram sticks. But it just would not seat in its connectors. I took the ram out again, checked yet again that it was the right way round, tried the other empty slot, but it just wasn't going to connect for me. After a frustrating half hour of thumb and finger bruising, I resorted to Twitter to elicit, to elicit some advice on this painful task. And to the rescue came Mark Dalton with his suggestion of trying a wooden implement from the kitchen department. And so we returned to that subject mentioned earlier of using a spatula, or in this case spoon, made of the appropriate woody material. This particular wooden spoon has a straight edge of about double the thickness of the ram chipboard. And so with temerity and a little dexterity, I approached the obstinate ram, determined that I would not be beaten by a piece of chipboard. The iMac was once again held down on the desk by, by, by my able assistant as I lined up the spoon's edge against the outer edge of the ram and steadily increased the pressure until, finally, it clicked into place. Yes! We have a successful seating of the ram. Oh joy of joys! We have achieved what had seemed to be the impossible. I can tell you I was mightily relieved. Next job was to boot up the iMac and a minute or so later we were chugging along merrily with a total of 8 gig. Whew, I was so happy. We carried the iMac back to John's desk where it hummed away happily once again and I sat back glowing with contentment that I had two machines purring along nicely on 8 gig each and all done for a bargain price in less than a week from ordering. And so it continued for five days. Until two days ago, when I had cause to switch off and unplug the iMac. Upon replugging it into the mains a few hours later, I was met with a grey screen and a loud repeating three beeps from the machine. My heart sank as I realised this was not one of the best things to hear from a Mac on a Friday afternoon. I pondered a little while and slowly recalled reading about bad RAM causing such problems. Carrie Hartford on Twitter and Google confirmed my suspicions and also Leon Walsh suggested taking out the RAM and reseating it. 
So, once again, we manhandled the beast onto my desk, and armed with my trusty wooden spoon, I removed and reseated the ram. I took a deep breath and restarted the iMac. It came back to life. Thank goodness for that. Because if John had been without his Mac, he would not have been a happy bunny. Bless him. Okay, so all we needed to do now was switch off the Mac again, take it back into the family room and all would be well. But yes, you've guessed it, that was not to be. Plugged the machine in at his desk and this time no grey screen, no beeps, just absolute silence. Frantic pressing of the power button did nothing to help except to raise my blood pressure. Unplug, carried it to another PowerPoint, still nothing. Unplug, try a PowerPoint in another room the other end of the house, nothing. Whinge and whine on Twitter and give up for the night. As Gazmaz suggested, it may start of its own volition after a few hours of rest. Unfortunately, the next morning, it was still dead. So, what does any self-respecting wannabe techie do? Hit the googling machine. And some while later, it came to light that the Core i7 processor version of the iMac is known to be unbelievably fussy about its RAM. Not only does it insist on matching pairs of RAM, but also finds it hard to cope with the same specification of RAM if that RAM is from a different manufacturer. Good grief, I thought I was a fussy old so-and-so. So, once again, it's time to exercise those arm muscles up and over with the iMac, remove its bottom plate and extract the new RAM, leaving in only the original Apple RAM. Boot up and lo and behold, we have a working iMac. So there we have it. One Mac Mini successfully upgraded with two sticks of crucial RAM and working very happily. One Core i7 iMac refusing to play happily with a mixture of Apple and Crucial RAM. I have a feeling that if I return the RAM to Crucial, they will say it's not faulty. In which case, they will refund the cost of the RAM, but not the cost of my shipping it back to them. So I have to bite the bullet and wear the cost of that $46, I think, at this stage. Haven't quite decided on that yet. Need to contact Crucial yet again and just see where we're going with that but I, have, I feel I may have a cunning plan forming in my head. And on that thought, we shall leave it there for now, boys and girls. Catch you all later, guys. Oh dear, that doesn't sound good, so that's why I leave it all to you, isn't it? Ah, but if you'd known that it could involve Kitchenalia, you'd have been much more interested. Kitchenalia. Yeah, but that's only because you seem to be allergic to all things domestic. Well, obviously. Uh, anyway, Jane, Ram, problems, yes. Um, I've got, I think, exactly the same model of 27-inch uh, iMac. Uh, when mine shipped, as you say, it's got four slots. I had four gig in it, uh, two twos. And immediately I bought, uh, same day I bought the computer, I bought two more twos from Crucial. So uh, when they arrived, I think I was doing pretty much what you were trying to do. Um, and I had no problems at all. 
issues fitting it maybe uh, like you were saying but I certainly didn't have any problems that the RAM was incompatible so either I was incredibly lucky uh, or you've been incredibly unlucky depending on how you want to look at it uh, recently as you say the price has come down so much uh, what I wanted to do and I, I priced up you know how you do you go to the Apple site and you price up the most ridiculous kit you could well I priced up putting 16 gig in this 27 inch iMac um, from the get-go and the price of the RAM was 700 pounds so sadly I left it at eight and left it at that yeah I remember when I um, got the the MacBook Pro not longer not long after I got it I wanted to up it to eight and the price was like 300 pounds it was ridiculous. Um, it's because you, in the case of the MacBook Pro, of course, you've got to take out what's in it. You lose the lot. So you, you need the four gig chips, which ooh, right up until probably Christmas, Black Friday, Christmas time were very, very expensive. Um, so I, mine was full. It had four twos in it. So I decided uh, I priced up 16 gig and it was something like 145 pounds, which I thought was fantastic value. So I went for it uh, and I got four fours. So um, obviously mine was OK because all four of them were bought at the same time from the same place and obviously are from the same manufacturer. But um, one thing I, I did notice from um, your explanation of fitting it, I fitted it in a completely different way, I must admit. Um, I'm not playing around unplugging everything, all the drives. and Oh, I, I'm going, I'm having cold sweats here thinking about it. Um, I didn't do any of this lifting it up laying it down business at all um, I knew from fitting the two twos and in fact I also uh, upgraded a 24 inch iMac and I, I did it the same way that I'm going to explain what I did was uh, I moved it slightly forward on the desk so there was because uh, my desk is against a wall well one of them is so I've got more than one desk but this particular desk is against a wall so I mo moved it forward slightly probably about ooh, 10 12 inches and I tipped the iMac back as far as it would go now it doesn't tip sort of to 180 degrees it probably tips back to about 45 degrees just enough to actually put a screwdriver underneath which is underneath Apple logo on the front and unscrew the panel so I took the panel out uh, the first time I fitted the extra two twos it was probably a little bit easier because I wasn't taking anything out so that the little plastic there's little plastic strip things uh, that if you're taking RAM out you've got to unfurl them around the RAM and then you've got to pull them out very gently making sure that you pull evenly on it and I, I always I'm very very careful with that because if that breaks off I've no idea how you'd get the RAM out so um, with the two twos it was actually pretty simple what I did was, um, having tipped it up as far as it would go, I then like looked underneath it uh, and just slotted it in. Now, like you say, when you actually come to pushing it, it does take a lot of pressure. If it's on, if it's flat down on a desk, then you would need somebody to hold it because you need to push so hard it would definitely move the Mac. Um, if you're doing it the way I do it, where it's just tilted backwards, then I had uh, somebody hold the top for me so it's tilted back they put their hand on the top and I push up against that if you were doing it without somebody holding it you'd probably lift the computer off the desk which would not the RAM just wouldn't click in um, but the two twos went in fairly painlessly 
Uh, when I came to do the 16 gig upgrade, I, I unscrewed everything uh, and I had to take out the other two. So one thing I did was I made a note of which way round the RAM chips were because there's a, there's a chip out of, um, there's a little cutout in it. So I made sure that was in, I knew exactly where that was going. And then I came to put them in. But I actually found that the two slots that would have been empty when I purchased it, which for me were on the right, it actually seemed much harder to get the RAM in there. So once I'd eased out what was in it, it was just a simple matter of putting the other four in. But I must admit, I didn't, uh, I certainly had no, no idea of lifting it off the desk, putting it face down and all that. And it worked well for me. In fact, I didn't actually unplug it. Uh, I read a while back that uh, it earths it if it's actually plugged in. So it worked well for me. I didn't unplug anything. Well, you, you didn't even turn it off, you mean? Oh, I turned it off. Yes, but I didn't unplug it. Can't have my baby unplugged. Uh, it's a wonder the thing is ever turned off. You're right. It, my, my computer's on 24-7. But uh, yes, I, I did turn it off. I turned it off. Obviously, I was going to try and fit around with it turned on. But uh, no, I didn't unplug it. And uh, it went together very, very well. So... Oh, I'm so sorry yours didn't, Jane. Uh, things I've noticed with using 16 gig, it works well. Uh, actually, there was a knock-on effect from it, apart from the fact that it's faster, noticeably faster. I think I noticed the difference between 8 to 16 more than 4 to 8. I had a problem with Photoshop, <laughs> don't we all? No, I don't mean the price. I'd been using Photoshop, obviously, for years and years, and I started using it this particular day, and I was... Uh, I think I was using the brush tool and the crop tool, uh, probably some other stuff as well. And I noticed that my cursor wasn't right. It was the wrong cursor. Now, for those that don't know, in Photoshop, you, the tools themselves, when you change between the tools, it, you get a different cursor on your mouse pointer. And if you're doing something like crop, then that makes total sense. It changes to a crop tool, which is more accurate than if you were trying to crop with a normal mouse pointer. And the same for the brush tool. You want with the brush tool to have have an outline of the actual brush itself and I noticed um, I know now what caused it but at the time I was thinking when did this go wrong because it had been working um, and what I was finding was it was just completely inaccurate to be trying to use it so we had a, we googled it didn't we um, because I said I can't find anything about this what on earth would you look up for it used to work and now it doesn't and the pointers are funny and uh, you actually found something on the uh, was it the Adobe forum I think it was the Adobe forum yeah and what had happened was it was working. I wasn't going mad and it had stopped working for a lot of people, but not everybody. And it was the 10.6.5 update. It wasn't the last one. It was the one before. Uh, and they were saying, you know, sometimes if you reboot, it comes back and it, it works fine. But then it goes again after an hour. Anyway, the more technical um people involved came back and said right the problem is apple have changed something in 10.6.5 and the something that they've changed means that these cursors are now erratic at best and i couldn't get them working at all now when i'm editing photos i do need some kind of precision so to be honest it made photoshop pretty useless for me but all was not lost because uh, this was probably about three to four weeks ago wasn't it yeah and I had Pixelmator, and I actually like Pixelmator. I'm one of the few people who thinks Photoshop and Pixelmator complement each other wonderfully, and there's no need to have the argument of which should I use. I'll use both. So um, I decided I'd go into Pixelmator, and I was cropping away quite happily. That was fine. Until I came to do some stamping, cloning and stamping, 
uh, which for the uninitiated is where you use a tool to lift one part of an image and paste it on top of another part. So if I have a picture of a field and in this field uh, somebody has thrown sort of a, a, a bin or something, an oil, an oil drum, and I want to remove that from the picture, then I pick up parts of the grass and I paint over the top of the oil drum. So very, very simple. But once you do that, you're changing pixels in the image. And when you look at the job when you're finished, you might think, that's not that's not great. I, you know, I need to start again. But at that point, it's too late because you've changed the pixels. So what you do is you do exactly that, but you do it on a new layer. So it's like putting a sheet of acetate across the image and painting the changes onto that acetate. It's simple. It's absolutely simple. OK, I've got years and years of experience, but it's simple. It's quick. It's fantastic. So I start working doing that in Pixelmator because Photoshop just wasn't playing ball with these um, mouse cursor icons. And I'm clicking away and nothing is happening. Now, what you need to do if you're going to use this extra layer method is enable an option called um, sample all layers. That's it. Sample all layers. So you're on the acetate layer, you're on the clear, clean layer and you enable this option, sample all layers, which means when you pick up the pixels you're going to paint with, it picks them up from all the other layers beneath. Only it wasn't. So I was picking up nothing and pasting nothing. I thought, just a minute, this has worked. I know it has. So um, I start investigating what's going on with that. And if I took the option off, so I'm not um, affecting all layers, I'm just going to paint on one layer, it worked fine. So I thought this definitely worked because I, you know, I did it last week. Luckily, you had kept up your rigorous software update schedule in place and you hadn't updated. So I asked you to have a look. And of course, your version was working fine. My updated one was not. So at this point, I had Photoshop broken and I had Pixelmator broken. I'm not good when my toys are broken, am I? Microsoft Paint, anyone? It was looking a viable option at this stage, unfortunately. So I, I gave up because there was also at the time, this version of Pixelmator was 1.6.4, which was broken. And they just released it into the Mac App Store. And they knew that that had a problem as well and they needed to get 1.6.5 out. So I thought, well, it's not going to be long, not to worry. So um, I left that alone and thought it'd be fine in the next update, which was released today when we're recording the show. Needless to say, my problem's not fixed, but that's for another show. I've got to spread these rants out, haven't I? Of course. Yes. So back to the 16 gig. So I put the 16 gig in, everything was fine. Uh, and I went into Photoshop because Pixelmate is broken as well. It's a case of which one's less broken this week. And I went into Photoshop and my icons were back. Yes, my little mouse cursors were all back and fine. I'm not sure what the moral of that story is. It could possibly be that Photoshop now officially needs 16 gig to work properly. That's probably viable, isn't it? I don't honestly know. I have no idea. It's not supposed to be a memory issue that's causing the problem. It was supposed to be something that Apple did in 10.6.5. But whatever, my memory upgrade solved the problem so far. That doesn't mean it won't be broken again tomorrow. But today, Photoshop's the editor of choice because it's working. So my 16 gig had some benefit, apart from the fact everything's running much faster. I must say, I, th I think it's easier to buy RAM these days. Um, I was thinking back to updating PC RAM and uh, comparing that process with purchasing via 
crucial. Um, it was horrible. There was Edo rum and DDR rum and, and rum the size of this ram and that ram. Oh, it was horrible. They all had to be fitted in pairs. So what Jane was saying took me back to that, that yes, they did have to be fitted in pairs. And sometimes there was even set configurations as well, that there were three ram slots. And, you know, you were trying to get an even number. So you had to put two in one and, and one in the other. Oh, it was horrible. Horrible, horrible. And um, I know you were never keen because of a, a nasty experience with a power supply. Yeah, I think that was when um, the RAM was hidden behind the power supply, wasn't it? And I probably had to take the whole machine apart. Yeah, it was it was a very old machine, I'll grant you. But yes, there were so many cables in there. And although the box on a PC is sort of fairly big and there should be plenty of room, there just wasn't. And inside of them, they're like razor blades. I've got scars all over from PCs. And I know with that one, you ended up... It was in our early days, wasn't it? And uh, you ended up bringing it round. That was a good date, that was. <laughs> yeah, bring your PC round for a RAM upgrade. Oh, fabulous. And I said, this is going to have to come to pieces. You have to dismantle the whole thing. You just could not get into it to update the RAM. So, um, Jane, we eagerly await part two for more exotic adventures with kitchen implements. I hope there's a happy ending to your story. So, without further ado, on to what our MacBiters have had to say. And after the last show, it was fabulous. Minster came back on Twitter. Um, he was so shocked that there was a MacBites episode, he started tweeting again. Although I've noticed Minster, I've been slacking in the last two weeks and I can't have it. So I, I'm hoping to see lots more tweets from Minster. We love to hear from Minster. We love to hear from everybody. But Minster put a comment on the uh, the show notes, didn't he? He said, another cracking show. I've got to get me one of those pogo sticks. And another Mac biter that we heard from was McJim. Not Mac Jim, McJim. And um, he was another one surprised. So it's always good to hear from McJim as well. Apparently, he was getting all hot under the collar with talk of leather, I seem to recall. Mm. Uh, You've not got a funny comeback for that, have you? No. <laughs> Are you getting all hot under the collar with the talk of leather? Of course. I think it was thongs. It was probably thongs. Thongs. Yes, it was because it was before Christmas. Okay. Well, that's it. What? <laughs> for another episode. Oh, right, right. You moved on. Should we take that again? No, no, it was fine. Carry on. That's it for another episode of Mac Bites, thongs and all. Please keep those comments coming. In fact, we've got a request. We want to hear what piece of tech is your absolute favourite. Could be hardware, software, maybe a camera, a Kindle, a case for some of your precious tech. Anything but the one thing that you don't think you could live without. And if you want the inside track on why, I want to know then you need to subscribe to the MacBytes newsletter where I reveal all. What? About reasons why I want to know about the tech, obviously. Ah, right. Yes, our newsletter. We've been, you've been signing up for over five months now. And finally, you early adopters have the great inaugural issue in your inboxes right now. And if you've not signed up, shame on you. But it's not too late. The sign-up form's on every page of the MacBytes website, so you can't miss it. And now we would love to have you along where you get the inside track on all things at MacBytes headquarters. And as usual, you can contact us via the website or via email at macbytesuk at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out the website at macbytes.co.uk. Haven't I just said that? No? No. 
No. You don't really know what you're saying, do you? Well, don't forget to check out the website. Are you rusty? Are you rusty, dear? MacBytes.co.uk in its brand new structure. That sounded formal. Did it? Do you mean livery? Livery? Never mind. Carry on. What's livery? What it looks like. Ah, right. Okay. Um... You can follow us on Twitter, of course, at twitter.com slash macbytes. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thomasmike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye and see you next time. See you next time. We're rendered speechless, aren't we? Mm. We've got a show together. <laughs> oh, my word. The shock will kill them. <laughs>